0: My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit
1: Welcome to Magnificat Proclaims, presented to you by Magnificat, a ministry to Catholic women. Whether this is your first time you've listened to our program or you have been with us many times before, we are delighted that you have joined us. I'm Donna Ross, your host for today's program. We pray that today may be a special day in your life as you experience through the personal testimony of our featured guest the presence of Jesus Christ among us. He is alive and well. Magnificat taken from Luke chapter 1, is the great hymn of praise that Mary prayed while visiting her cousin Elizabeth. Both women had been deeply touched by God. Elizabeth was bearing a long-awaited child. Mary was carrying within her womb the very Son of God. They came together to help one another, to speak of God's action in their lives, to sing, to pray, to share a common faith, and to be strengthened for all that was to come. Like Mary and Elizabeth, We want to come together in God's presence and proclaim the Almighty has done great things for me and you, and holy is his name. This Magnificat Proclaim series features Catholic Christian women who have shared their testimony at one of the many Magnificat chapters hosting quarterly meals around the world. Typically, this three hour gathering provides opportunity for a shared meal, fellowship, communal praise and worship personal testimony of one woman's expression of God's action in her life and intercessory prayer for the needs of the Church and of those present. We trust that these testimonies will help each of us come to better understand that we are truly children of God, made in His image and likeness. We are daughters of the King. It's my pleasure to introduce Debbie Herbeck. Debbie has worked extensively in youth and women's ministries for the past 25 years, evangelizing university campuses, speaking at high school youth conferences, directing youth camps, and mentoring high school and college-age women. She has spoken at Franciscan University women's and youth conferences and women's events throughout the country. Debbie is the newsletter editor for Renewal Ministries and has written articles for New Covenant, Pastoral Renewal, Credo, and Catholic Faith and Family. She and her husband Peter recently co-authored a book entitled When the Spirit Speaks, Touched by God's Word. She is also the producer for the weekly Catholic television program The Choices We Face, co-hosted by Ralph Martin and Peter Herbick. The Herbicks live in Ann Arbor, Michigan with their four children, and our members of Christ the King parish. Once again, it is my privilege to introduce Debbie Herbick. What I'd like to do today mainly is to um,
2: share with you my own faith journey, my own faith story. And um, I grew up in a Jewish home, and I think I can confidently say that the desire of every Jewish parent is that they go off to a prestigious university, they meet a nice Jewish boy, they fall in love, and they get married. Well, I went to a prestigious university, and I met a nice Jewish boy. Uh, He was a carpenter from a small town. (laughs) His name was Jesus, (laughs) and my parents were not (laughs) happy or pleased. So what I'd like to do is tell you a little bit about my own upbringing and how all of that transpired. I grew up in the near the city of Chicago, and my grandparents were very religious, very devout Jews, and so we were raised in the faith with a very strong understanding of what it meant to be Jewish. So much so that I thought everyone in the world was Jewish when I was little. Maybe you grew up Catholic and you thought everybody in the world was Catholic. I didn't know anybody who wasn't Jewish. Um, You know, Obviously, all my relatives were Jewish. I lived in a Jewish neighborhood. Um, the kids who were my friends were Jewish, and we had some gentile associates, um, you know, some fr- a few friends, and my dad had business associates, but really my entire world that I lived in was Jewish. I didn't really know anything about Christianity. I knew it was a world religion, and as I got older, I knew that Jesus was somehow the head of this religion, but I didn't really know what Christianity meant. I didn't know what Jesus taught. I didn't really know anything about it because I wasn't in an atmosphere or surroundings where I would have learned that. As a matter of fact, the first time that I ever was in a church, particularly a Catholic church, was when I was a senior in high school on a field trip at school. I would say I grew up with very strong cultural identity as a Jew. I started going to, we called it Saturday school. The Gentiles went to Sunday school. We went to Saturday school because that's when you celebrated the Sabbath. And so started going to Saturday school. And I was very young. Went to synagogue on Saturdays, a long service in Hebrew. And then I was began my religious training when I was little, learning Hebrew when I was very young. And then, at the end of when I was 13, I was Bat Mitzvah. How many of you know what a Bar or a Bat Mitzvah is? I guess the thing that I can compare it to the most in um, Catholicism would be the rite of confirmation. And that's as a 13 year old when you take a whole year as a Jewish um, young man or young woman and you prepare for this day when you will stand before your congregation, you'll read out of the Torah, which is the the five books of Moses, you will read, chant something in Hebrew and then you will address the congregation and basically you'll come before them and say, I am now ready as a young man, or young woman in my case, to take on the responsibilities and the obligations of being a Jewish member of the faith. I'm now ready to study the Torah. I'm ready to do good works. I'm ready to be a responsible adult member of the faith, which in our modern-day society is kind of a joke, because I don't know very many 13-year-olds, Jewish or Gentile, who are ready to act as adult members of any faith. But for a Jewish kid growing up, it was a huge deal. You got a party, you got a new dress, you got to invite all your friends. As a matter of fact, in a couple weeks, I'm going to my niece's bat mitzvah, and the invitation we got in the mail was like a wedding invitation. So I say that to underline how important this was in my upbringing, the cultural and the strong identity of being a Jew, being a member of the Jewish people, that's who I was. And I couldn't separate it from myself any more that I could separate from myself the color of my eyes or the color of my hair, it was just, Part of who I was. My grandparents on my dad's side were, as I said, very strong Jews. They were Zionists, and back in those days, they had a very strong influence in helping Israel be, become a state. My grandmother was the president of a very well known Jewish charity organization called Hadassah in Chicago, and she single handedly raised millions of dollars to go to the state of Israel. So my upbringing was um, our heroes were. Not just heroes of the faith but heroes of the state of israel at that time as israel had become a state i have to say i had a wonderful upbringing with judaism celebrating all the holidays and a strong identity but if you had said well who's god i would have said i don't know and we read all the stories in the bible we read the stories about moses and god's deliverance of the jewish people but i never really had a strong sense of having a personal relationship with god and obviously as i got older that became less and less the case i remember after my bat mitzvah probably like after the glow of the bat mitzvah had worn off and i realized that a lot of the money i'd gotten i couldn't touch it was in the bank and and the glow of the party and everything i remember my sister and i i have four siblings and i have an identical twin sister a younger brother four years younger, and an older brother, two years older. And I remember my sister and I went to my dad, and we said, well, we had our bat mitzvah, so we're done, right? And he said, what do you mean done? He said, well, we don't want to go to synagogue on Saturdays anymore. We'd rather be at the mall with our friends or playing soccer or doing that stuff. He said, no, you're not done. And we said, what do you mean? He said, you're a Jew, and you'll always be a Jew. We said, well, we know that. We just don't want to have to do all this stuff. And he said... Well, you're going to do it. As long as you live in my house, you're going to do it. Anyone ever use that line before? (laughs) Oh, yeah. All right. But we said, why? And he said, well, you do it because I do it. And I do it because my father does it. And my father did it because his father did it. And his father did it because his father did it. How many of you have ever seen Fiddler on the Roof? Tradition. (laughs) That's it. Catholics can even relate to that, right? So basically, the message that I was getting from my family was we do this stuff because it's part of who you are. So I was living in my parents' house and was, you know, continuing to go to synagogue on Sundays, but I was also continuing to grow and become somewhat what I guess was a typical teenager back in the late 70s. And I began high school as a typical teenager with typical teenage goals, which were pretty short-sighted. Play sports, do well, lots of friends, have a good time, get good grades. And I would say my life was really going along that direction until something happened in our family when I was 15, so this would have been my sophomore year, middle of my sophomore year in high school. I remember mid-December, my sister and I, my sister Dana, my identical twin sister and I, were invited by some relatives to vacation with them over winter break in the Bahamas. And my older brother, Mark, at this point was a freshman in college. He was probably two hours away from home in a small school in Illinois. And my sister and I flew from my parents' home in Chicago to Florida. And the plan was that we were going to meet my brother, Mark, who had a final. He would be driving to Chicago and then flying out of Chicago later, we'd meet him in Florida and then fly on from there to our vacation, just the three of us, and meet some family there. Well, when my sister Dana and I got to the airport in Florida, some family friends met us at the gate, and that wasn't part of the plan. We were just supposed to go to our next gate, and they met us at the gate and they said, your parents just called and they'd like us to take you back to our home with us. Your brother Mark has been in a car accident on his way home from school and so we didn't really know what to think about it we didn't know how serious it was but we went back to their home with them and I remember this day like it happened yesterday but I remember going to these people's to these people's yard they had a nice yard with a built-in swimming pool and I remember this is the first time that I ever prayed in my life and I had said I had 15 years worth of prayers in me Hebrew prayers that I had prayed But it was the first time i ever really prayed and talked to god that night and i remember standing by the swimming pool and saying to god in my head god i don't know if you're there i don't know if you're real i don't know if you can hear me or if you care about me but if you do please god save my brother's life and i remember that night it was like i took that prayer and i just like could visualize just throwing that prayer out in the middle of this pool, because I didn't know who I was talking to and I didn't know where I, where it was going or what the result would be. It probably like three minutes after I prayed that prayer that the phone rang inside the house and I looked in the window and I saw my mom's friend pick up the phone and bow her head and then place the phone down and I knew from the expression on her face that my brother mark had died and it was like i looked back in that swimming pool and it was like i could just see the prayer that i had prayed just sink to the bottom of that pool and i remember it in my mind thinking god you're not there you don't care none of it's true how could you let this happen so my sister and i Flew back to Chicago the next day to meet my parents who were grieving over the sudden loss of their firstborn son who had been driving home the day before in a snowstorm, not wearing his seatbelt, had been run off the road by a trucker driving a huge semi-truck. They took my brother to the hospital, and by the time my dad was able to get there, probably an hour and a half later, my brother had died in waiting in the waiting room to actually be taken care of at the small country hospital. In Judaism, there are many customs and rites of mourning, prayers, things that happen. Immediately, our house began to fill with people who were to be there for the next seven days around the clock. It's called sitting shiva, where they sit and they pray with you, pray the mourners right. For a whole year, we wore black. So every day I went to school, every day I put on clothes for high school, it was a reminder to me, or seeing another family member that my brother had died. And that week, that first few days of dealing with my parents and our own grief was probably the hardest thing that I've ever gone through. And I remember going around and asking people, because I really was searching for answers, and I remember asking people that I thought would have the answer, starting with, A favorite aunt and then a teacher and everybody would kind of push me to the next person because I would be asking all those questions why why how why what else is there is this it and finally I got pushed to the last person on the line which was the rabbi and I sat with the rabbi and I said rabbi where is God what does our faith teach us how could God allow this to happen Oh, and I said, where is my brother now? And he looked at me, he said, I don't know. I said, you're the rabbi. (laughs) If you don't know, who does know? And he said, I don't know. I don't have answers for you, but I will pray that you'll find the answers that you're looking for. So the next two years of high school, my last two years were spent in um, a desperate attempt to kind of block out, the pain that I was going through. My parents were dealing with it on their own in less than effective ways, and so we're not very well equipped to help us deal with it. And so it was really living in a house where everybody kind of walked through their own private, silent grief. And as a teenager, um, besides dealing with all the teenage issues, I was dealing with this and really spent the last couple years just Trying to make it through high school. I knew I wanted to go to a good college, so I was studying hard. But I was also, you know, going to concerts and partying and hanging out with guys and doing all the things that I thought would make me happy, not really knowing who I was or what my life was headed for, only knowing that life is short and that we don't know how long it's going to last. And so I kind of developed this philosophy like, I'm just going to make the best out of what I have. Well towards the end of my uh, junior year we decided, my sister and I started applying to colleges and I just got it in my head and I don't know why, well now I know, that I wanted to go to the University of Michigan. None of my friends were going and as it turned out my sister and I who had shared everything from the moment of conception, (laughs) my identical sister and I were for the first time in our lives going to be separated. She was going to Indiana University, I was going to the University of Michigan, and I remember the night before she left for school, a week before I did, my mom literally put us in our room and locked the door and said, divide up everything you own and don't come out until you're finished. <laughs> so symbolically, we did that. We went through all of our clothes, all of our music, everything that we had, and we had shared everything our whole lives, clothing and friends and boyfriends, and Everything we had and we divided it all up and I said goodbye to her and she went off her way And then two weeks later my parents drove me up to the University of Michigan, and I didn't know anyone And I remember as we unloaded and they finally left. I remember I just cried. I cried because I was scared and I cried because I was relieved to be out of my family and to finally be on my own Now, one thing I haven't told you about myself, which maybe isn't that obvious right now, but when I was younger, when I was a teenager, and even into young adulthood, I was painfully shy. I don't know if it was part of having an identical twin sister, but I had a really hard time meeting people. I was probably on the far end of the introvert scale. Like I always knew what kind of shoes people were wearing, but never the color of their eyes. I always had a hard time looking at people in the eyes. Isn't it ironic that now I have to actually get up and talk to people? So here I am. I'm getting dropped off at the University of Michigan, a huge university, and I'm thinking, well, it's no problem. There's lots of Jewish people here. I'm just going to meet other Jewish people and carry on with my life, and my life's going to be so much better because I'm going to be outside this grieving house, and I'm really going to make my life count for something, and I'm just so happy to get away. Get dropped off at my dorm. I'm in a freshman dorm and I go up and down my hallway and they had everybody's names on the doorways so I'm kind of scoping it all out there are no Jewish girls on my hall no Kaplan's or Rosenstein's or or, uh, Schwartz's no Jewish kids so I go into my room my roommate's already been there for a couple days because she's from Michigan and she's got it all the room all set up her name was Lori Brown I thought, well, she's not Jewish. <laughs> and as I said, I was very shy, but she started talking to me. And I found out that she was Catholic, that she had been raised Catholic. And she had just, as she described it, had just gotten into her faith as a senior in high school. So I remember she, I went over to her side of the room, which was all set up. And she had this little, she had like an 8 by 10 picture, like a little painting. This was in the late 70s of a guy And he had long brown hair and um, a beard. And I remember saying to her, that guy, who's that guy? He's kind of cute. (laughs) Is that your boyfriend? She looked at me like I was from another planet. (laughs) And I'm sure she's thinking, you got into school here? (laughs) She's like, you don't know who that is? And I was felt stupid obviously and I said well no not really and she said well that's Jesus and she said and he is my boyfriend or something like that and I thought oh this is going to be a long year <laughs> but you know what my roommate Lori was smart she had been renewed in her faith and um, really wanted to get to know God better but she also knew that we need to coexist together in this tiny dorm room for nine months and so she didn't force her faith on me. She didn't talk about it. She was just kind of trying to live it. There was a girl, however, another girl who lived on my floor. Her name was Sarah, and she talked about her faith nonstop. Here I was, I'd grown up in a Jewish home. I'd never met really a Christian who talked about their faith before, and all of a sudden, I'm confronted with this girl who talked about her faith all the time. Now, this is the 70s, of course. She'd walk up and down the hall with her guitar, singing about jesus knocking on people's doors talking about jesus she had a bible that she carried around well believe it or not this girl sarah and i became friends we really had nothing in common except one thing and that was both we were both athletic and we liked to play sports so we'd go to the gym together to work out and in the course of our friendship developing she tried to talk to me about jesus but she was not very systematic about it. She never sat down and said, do you know who Jesus is? Let me tell you the story of his life. So we would have these debates. She would throw things out there from the New Testament, and I would throw things out there from the Old Testament. I didn't really know what I was talking about, but it seemed like a good defense. And we would kind of playfully go back and forth. And so we developed a friendship. I also discovered that there were other girls on my hall who were Christians. The way I found it out was I had an early class, so I used to get up early to take a shower. I noticed that I was not the only one getting up early. There were other girls in the shower room at the same time having a prayer time together. So here I was, I felt like everywhere I turned in my life, there were these Christians. I didn't know what they believed, but they just seemed to be all over the place and they seemed to want to be together all the time. That first semester I was taking a class called Great Books and we were studying books like from the first and second century. One day I went to class and the professor said to me, I want you to write a short paper on the book of Romans and turn it in on Monday. And so I was thinking, the book of Romans? I don't think I got that book. So I went up to him afterwards, which was really hard for me to do because I was extremely shy and I said, but I wanted to get good grades. So I said, I don't have the book of Romans. I didn't notice it on the book list. And he probably looked at me like, you got in here too? But he said, it's in the New Testament I said, I'm not allowed to have one of those He said, I don't really care Find a Bible, and read it, and do the assignment So I went back to my dorm and I thought I, can't, I don't want to buy a New Testament My grandfather is going to kill me I know I'm not supposed to have one of those I wonder if somebody has a Christian Bible So I thought about this girl, Sarah and I went down to a room and I explained that I need to read it from the book of Romans and it was in the New Testament. And I was wondering if I could borrow her Bible. And she was like, Sure. <laughs> so she gave me her Bible to borrow. This is actually it. And um, she said, Okay, the book of Romans, let me just explain to you. It's a really hard book. There's a little ribbon here and I'm going to mark where it is and then try and read it, but I'll. Be glad to help you with it, because a lot of Christians even have a hard time understanding it. So I went back to my room with her Bible, and I started reading the book of Romans. And I thought, what is going on here? I don't understand this. This is really like reading Greek. So I started just kind of thumbing through her Bible. Now, Jews consider the scriptures to be very holy, so much so that most Jews wouldn't have their own little pocket-sized Bible or carry Bible they would carry around with them you certainly would never ever ever write in the scriptures because they were considered holy as a Jew if you were carrying the scriptures and they fell to the ground you would need to pick them up and kiss them as a sign of reverence and respect for the scriptures so I started looking through my friend Sarah's Bible and I'm just kind of glancing through it and I notice that she's written all over it that she's underlined practically everything I noticed particularly, I think the book of Ephesians must have been her favorite, one of her favorite, because she had underlined just about everything in it. Underlined or highlighted the whole New Testament. And then she would write notes in the margins about things that she was reading, like notes to God. And then it was like God was writing notes back to her. Then she ran out of room and she wrote in the back on the maps and in the front in the table of contents. And I'm looking through her Bible, and I feel like I'm reading someone's personal diary. And I'm thinking, this is weird. I thought these stories in the Bible were just made up stories to help us understand the nature and the character of God. She actually reads this stuff. Not only does she read it, she believes it. And it's like like God is talking to her and she's talking back to him. And it kind of made me a little bit of afraid of the power that this book seemed to have in her life. I remember giving it back to her. She was like, do you want to talk about it? I'm like, no. And it wasn't years later, until years later, after I became a believer, and I read this passage which thoroughly described what I experienced that day. And it's from Hebrews. And it says, you probably all know, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And then it goes on later to say in that passage, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And I remember just saying to her, take it back. I don't want it. I don't want to be associated with your Bible. But it was that day as if God was, didn't know it then, but was opening a little window to me and saying, there's more, there's more, there's more. I continued to have a friendship with this girl, Sarah, through my freshman year, and I began to notice things about her that were just different. She was a good friend. She was genuine. She was truthful. She was honest. She lived by what she believed and what she spoke about. Toward the end of my freshman year, I think it was probably about maybe March or April, I was studying one night and um, my friend Sarah and some of the Christian girls knocked on my door and they said, we're gonna watch a movie, do you wanna take a study break? So I went down to the lounge with them and it was packed and um, I sat down on the floor and they turned on the TV and this movie came on and I began to watch it and I remember saying to my friend Sarah, we were whispering, I said, what is this? And she said, oh, nothing. I said, what's the name of this movie? And she said, oh, it's called Jesus of Nazareth. (laughs) How many of you have ever seen that? The one where Jesus never blinks? That (laughs) Jesus of Nazareth? Anyway, I had never seen it. Um, I'm sitting there with all these people and I immediately felt uncomfortable because I thought this is stuff that I shouldn't really be watching or, or listening to as a Jew thinking again about my grandparents. And the only thing that kept me right then in the room was that I was um, shy, and I didn't, it would have been embarrassing for me to get up in the midst of all these people and walk out. So the movie starts, and Jesus' life begins to unfold. And I'm watching, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh. He's Jewish. I didn't know Jesus was a Jew. No one ever told me he's Jewish. Not only is he Jewish, he's a good Jew. He keeps the laws. He follows the commandments. He listens to his mother. He's a good Jew. And as I'm watching the story of his life beginning to unfold, I see something else in him that amazes me. And that is he's exactly the kind of person that I want to be, that I know I can't be, that I've tried to be. He's not afraid to speak the truth to people. He's got an amazing ability to love people right where they're at. He can reach out to everyone. And I'm just kind of captured by this person of Jesus. Then there's this point in the story, and this, the movie was being sold, uh, showed, I think, in three different parts, or two different parts So it didn't end that evening. But there's a point in the story where Jesus comes to a small town. And these two women approach him, and they're weeping. I know all you know the story, but I didn't know the story. And they come to him, these two sisters. And this woman named Martha falls at his feet, and she says, Lord, where were you? Where were you when our brother died? If you had been there, Lord, he wouldn't have died. And it was as if, you know, what I had just experienced two and a half years earlier came back to me, and it was like this arrow just pierced my heart. I remember saying in my mind, Yeah, God, where were you when my brother died? If you had been there, he wouldn't have died. And at that point, I just wanted to get... I was so overwhelmed, I just wanted to get up and I just wanted to run out of the room because I thought, I am done facing this stuff. I'm so tired of not knowing and of grieving and mourning. But that in that moment, it was as if this hand was just on my shoulder and I could not get up off the floor. So I sat there and I watched the story unfold. And you know what happens, Jesus goes into that tomb, goes into a man who's been dead for three days, who's ritually impure and unclean. And he calls him forth, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And I think if I could have seen myself in that moment watching that scene, I would have been like, because as I watched Jesus go in, I thought, What if death doesn't have the final answer? What if there's a power in this world and in this universe that's greater than death? And what if this man, Jesus, has that power? I went back to my room. The movie ended and was going to be played the next night. I went back to my room that night, and I couldn't sleep. So I went down to my friend Sarah's room, (laughs) and I knocked on the door like this. No words, exchange, out comes the Bible. So I take the Bible and I think, well, I guess I'll look for that little ribbon. I open up the Bible to where it had been marked, the Gospel of Matthew. And that night, in my dorm, sitting in my beanbag chair, my roommate was sleeping. I remember I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I read about this man, Jesus, and who he claimed to be. And I read it in the book of John, Where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me shall never die, but will live forever. And that night, after reading all of that, I prayed for the second time in my life. And I said to God, God, I don't know if you're here, and I don't know if you can hear me, or if you even care. But if you are, and if this man Jesus is the Messiah, I want to know. And I don't want to just know in my head, but I want to know in my heart. So God, if it's true, give me the faith to believe it. I prayed that prayer, and nothing happened. The phone didn't ring. Nobody delivered a free pizza. The alarm didn't go off. Hey, when you're a college student, a free pizza is definitely a sign from God. (laughs) But that was the beginning. And I prayed that prayer every night for nine months. A few, uh, about a month after that, I went back home for the summer. I had been dating a guy and um, began to separate myself. I don't even know if it was done um, intentionally from some of the things I had been doing and from my former life. And my friend Sarah came to visit me and um, she brought me a Bible. And I would read the Bible at night in my room. And I would begin to read the teachings of Jesus. And I would begin to read things in the Old Testament that Jesus talked about. And I went back to school in the fall, and I said to my friend Sarah, you know what Sarah, this is really interesting stuff. Let me just tell you this, I had no, absolutely no intention of converting. That wasn't even on my radar screen. Once a Jew, always a Jew, never cross that line. This was a pursuit of meaning and fulfillment, but I never thought about converting. It was a pursuit for truth. I said to my friend, Sarah, if Jesus was a Jew, and it's obvious he was, was, he was a historical person, why aren't there any other Jews that believe in Jesus? She said, oh, but there are. She said, I know a girl. I have a friend. Her name's Abby. She's a Jewish believer. Do you want to meet her? I said, absolutely not. because I had no intention of being converted or talked into anything, and I knew Sarah was up to something. So this was in the fall, it was in September, probably a couple weeks later than right now, and I was going, I was at the University of Michigan starting my sophomore year, still living in the dorms, and I was going to temple like all the other good Jewish kids who who were observing the holiest days of the year for Jews. The Day of Atonement, and Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, the two come 10 days apart. So I was in synagogue like all the other Jews so that we could call home and tell our parents we had been there. And it was at the University of Michigan on the campus. And as I'm walking out of services, it was very crowded. I literally bumped into this girl. So we started talking, well, she started talking. She talked all the way to where it was time for us to part ways where I need to get onto a bus. And she said, Finally taking a breath, oh, by the way, my name is Abby. Do you mind if I tell you something? I said, sure. So we sat down, and she said, um, I just want to share with you one thing. When She said, when I was a senior in high school, my best friend came over one day and said, I just met this great guy, and he's changed my life. His name is Jesus, and you need to know him too. This girl, Abby, was from the East Coast. Her grandfather was a rabbi. So she said, so, I met this guy named Jesus, and I believe he's the Messiah, and I'm a Jewish believer. So she said, well, that's, that's all. You know, just want to tell you that. Have a good night. <laughs> Abby was the first Jewish person I met who believed in Jesus, and we became friends. We're friends to this day. And even after I met Abby, I had no intention of converting. I just thought it was kind of interesting that she had found this and admired her for it but I was continuing to pray and pray that prayer I was reading the Gospels and I was reading things like Jesus said um, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy to be my disciple I didn't really know what that meant but I knew that meant hardship and suffering It said, whoever does not hate mother, father, sister, brother, for my sake, is not worthy to be my follower. And I felt like those things I could relate to. I could relate to what it would take in my own life to say yes to Jesus. would mean saying no to a lot of other things that were very dear to me. Went home that year, that sophomore year for Thanksgiving, and I had been reading a lot of scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, and I remember I was the first to get home before my sister, Dana, and I remember this so clearly, sitting in a Chinese restaurant with my parents, and I thought, well, I'm a college kid now, I might as well tell them where all their money's going to, Let's, we're going to have an intellectual conversation, and I'm going to really impress them. So I remember turning to them and saying, you know, I've been reading the Bible a lot, and Did you ever think that the scriptures from Isaiah in the Old Testament could be referring, when they talk about the Messiah, that that could be referring to Jesus? And I remember looking over at my mom, who was now choking on her egg roll. (laughs) And my dad said, we need to go now. So we went back to the house, and I'm sure they, you know, now that I'm a parent, I can appreciate every single fear and thought and anxiety that was running through their head. What is my daughter doing up there in school? Who's influencing her? What's she thinking? What's she becoming? And they said, we're calling our friends. So my parents had these, this married couple who were Catholics. And they said, we're calling our friends. They need to come over and talk you out of this. So being the good Catholics that they were, they came over and said, "What? don't convert. What are you thinking of? They said, this will be too hard on your family, and don't do it. You know, you're Jewish. It's great that you're Jewish. You don't need to be anything else but Jewish. That weekend for me was like a sneak preview of a horror film. <laughs> No, it was a sneak preview that God gave me a little bit of a taste of what the cost was. Talks in scripture about counting the cost, and he was asking me to count the cost. My mom stopped speaking to me at that point because emotionally she just couldn't stand the thought of losing, in her perception, losing another child. It was a very tearful, emotional weekend, and at the end of the weekend as I was getting ready to go back on the train to go back to school, my dad stopped me, literally leaving going out the door, and he said, promise me one thing. This is my father saying, I will never ask you anything in your life. Again, promise me one thing. He said, promise me you won't convert. Now, as I told you before, I was not running back to Ann Arbor, Michigan to convert. But I looked at my dad, and I said, Dad, I can't promise you that, but I promise you that I'll be okay." Well, let me go. I mean, what could he do? I went back to school. This was the end of November, and I was continuing to pray that prayer every night before I went to bed and read the scriptures. God, if you're there and if Jesus is the Messiah, show me. Give me the faith to believe. Um, About a week later, I had a dream one night. And in the dream, I was standing in a long, dark hallway or corridor, and I heard a voice call out to me. And the voice said, Who do you say that I am? And in the dream, I couldn't see this person. I could only hear the voice. And I said, I don't know who you are. And I was frustrated. And the second time, that voice called out to me, who do you say that I am? And now that person was closer, but I couldn't see their face. I could just see the outline of a person. And I said, I don't know who you are, but I want to know. And then the third time, that person said, who do you say that i am and remember how i said i was shy (laughs) even in my dream i was kind of looking down and i looked up and standing right in front of me was a man and i said it's jesus you're jesus you're jesus and I woke up from that dream; was very vivid. And that morning, I was planning on meeting my friend Sarah at the gym. So I said, "Sarah, I had the weirdest dream last night, and this is what happened." I explained it to her, and I said, "Do you think there might be anything to it?" And she was like, "Yeah, I think there might be." <laughs> and I said, "But I'm frustrated. I knew it was Jesus, but I—this is so hard. I need more than just." Knowing it here, I need it, I need to know in my heart, I need faith. And being very wise, Sarah said, Ask for it. If you keep asking for it, God will give it to you because He promises to give to those who ask to be found by those who seek. So a few nights later, I was praying in my bed, in my dormitory. My roommate was sleeping. It was quiet. It was at the secular secular university. In a dormitory, and that night I prayed that same prayer I've been praying for nine months, really praying it from my heart. And as I prayed that prayer that night, December 3rd, I experienced this amazing thing. And that was that night as I prayed, the room, my dorm room, my tiny dorm room, filled with this incredible light and warmth and presence. And I knew that I was standing in the presence of something greater than myself. And I knew that in some tangible, real way, God was there with me. And I was scared, which I guess is a good response. And I remember saying to God in my heart, praying again and saying, God, I know you're here. I know this time you're real. And I know that I've messed up my life. I don't quite know what you expect of me, but I know the Ten Commandments, and I know I've broken some of them, and I've bent most of them. And I said, God, if you give me another chance with your help, I want to do it better this time. And then it was as if, not as if it was, Jesus was standing before me like he had been in the dream, and he was holding out his hand like this. And he said, here, it's for you. And I said, what is it? He said, it's faith. You asked for it. It's faith. And in that moment, in a lifetime of never knowing him, and in all those months of asking, in one second, I knew it was all true. I knew it. And I knew no one and nothing could ever take that from me. And those of you who are nodding, know it because you've experienced it yourselves and you know that assurance of faith. And it was as if if Jesus was saying to me, not in an audible voice, but in my heart, I knew he was speaking to me, and he was saying, it's a gift. You didn't do anything to deserve it, but you asked. And whoever asks, receives, and I give it freely. And that night, as Jesus stood before me, offering this gift, I said, I take it. I want it. I need it. I receive the gift of faith. I believe that you're the Messiah. I believe you're the one sent for my people and for all peoples. And I put my faith and my trust in you. And then I got really scared because all the names and the faces of my family started flashing before me. And it was then as if the Lord was still standing before me, but he was standing before a door And he was holding this door open for me. And God, being the perfect gentleman that he is, said, I'm not going to push you through this door. I'm not going to pull you through it. It's totally your choice. But if you choose to step through that door and to walk the path of faith that I'm offering to you, I will be with you every step of the way and I will protect you and care for you and carry you and provide for you and all of those people you're worried about, I'll take care of them too. And so that night, December 3rd, as I stood before the Lord, I said yes to him. I said yes to the gift of faith. I said yes to a life with him, no matter what that meant. And I walked through that door of faith And I have never turned back. I have never looked back. I've never regretted a thing. And God has been incredibly faithful to his promises to me. And the road has not always been easy. If I had more time, I'd tell you about all the ways that my family responded, which um, 99.9 were not positive. But um, that summer, I stayed in Ann Arbor to be with other Christians and to grow in my faith. I was baptized, um, joined a non-denominational messianic congregation, um, began to grow in my own faith and my own walk with the Lord, Um, began to read the scriptures and understand what it meant to be a uh, a follower and a disciple of Jesus. And a number of years later, which this is part B, I guess you'll have to invite me back for, I um, decided to enter the Catholic Church and become a Catholic and, and pursue that, and that's a whole other story and a whole other way that God worked. But where I want to leave things with you today is, you know, sometimes people hear my story and they're like, wow, that's so dramatic, that's so incredible. Well, you know, it says in the scriptures, Jews demand signs. Have you ever read that? You know why? Because we need it, because we're really hard-headed sometimes and hard-hearted, and Jews demand signs, and sometimes God knows what we need, and he gives us what we need. But that doesn't discount the fact that God wants to work powerfully in each of our lives no matter where we're at. I know there are grandmothers here praying for grandchildren. I know there's mothers here praying for children. I know there's friends here praying for other friends, or somebody's praying for you, and that's why you're here. And I just want to say to you that if God can reach me, a young Jewish agnostic on the North Shore of Chicago, God can reach out and touch anybody. And he's brought you here today because he wants to touch your life and get a hold of your life. Pray this with me in your heart. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, for the gift of your Son. We thank you for life in you, that you have conquered death, and that every promise finds its yes in you, Jesus. And Lord, we say yes to you today. We ask that you would come into our hearts and rule and reign over us. Be our Lord and be our Savior. We place our lives in your hands. We trust in you, Jesus. And Lord, we come before you and we ask for more. More of your life, more of your spirit, more of your love, more of your grace. We ask that you would fill us to overflowing, Lord, that we might live for you. That we might honor you that we might bring you glory, and that all those who see us and know us would desire to see and know you. We thank you, Lord, that there's more to life than what we can see and touch, that you are preparing for us a place with you in heaven forever. So we say to you, yes, Lord, today, more, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening.
1: Well, we certainly hope you have enjoyed the program. And for more information or a copy of today's broadcast, please write us at Magnificat Proclaims, P.O. Box 2983, Orange, California, 92859. Once again, Magnificat Proclaims, P.O. Box 2983, Orange, California, zip code 92859. And for some of you, it might be easier to call. So feel free to call us at 800-500-4556. If you would like to have more information about the Magnificat Ministry, including a location of a Magnificat chapter in your area, you can call 504 828 Mary. That's 504-828-MARY. Or visit the Magnificat website at www.magnificat-ministry.org. On behalf of Magnificat Proclaims, this is Donna Ross inviting you to join us next time as we present more personal testimonies from our inspirational Catholic speakers. Remember, Magnificat proclaims, the greatness of the Lord. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you in his peace.